Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today's guest is Champaign County Clerk Aaron Ammons. Good evening. Thanks for joining me. Good evening, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. First of all, I need to hear some of the amazing accomplishments from not just you, but your entire staff, some of the things you've achieved in the last four years, and why do you want to do this again? We've administered six elections, actually seven in the last three and a half years. We've done six and we're preparing for number seven. Four of those elections were administered during the heightened phases of the global pandemic. And I've had people ask me, you know, reporters and stuff, you know, how do I compare this election to another election in the past? And I say, I don't know. I don't know about an election that was ran during a global pandemic and what that looks like in March of 20 when we were doing the primary. And I had an elderly gentleman come in to vote who was, you know, literally just inches away from me across the counter, who obviously had a runny nose and wasn't feeling well. And we didn't know what we were getting into at that time. So my staff and I were on the front lines even then and continue to be. So that's something that I'm pretty proud of. We continue to push forward and make sure that the voters of Champaign County were still able to cast their votes safely and securely, even during the pandemic. The tax extension portion of the job is something that a lot of people are not aware of. And the role that the clerk's office plays in that process, I'm proud to say that we did all of our extensions effectively, efficiently, accurately, on time so that they could move to the next phase of the process. One of the things that never gets talked about also is our vitals division, where we're talking about over 36,000 people in the last three and a half years have come into to get either a birth certificate, death certificate, VA or marriage license or civil union. And that's the bulk of the activity and interaction with the taxpayers in Champaign County is in our vitals division because there's so many people that come in to get services. So I'm very proud of the customer service that we've provided for those people over the years. We merged the recorder's office into the clerk's office very seamlessly and successfully. I think that's an important issue for people to to know. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, I think. I'm very happy about the savings. We saved $1.5 million for the taxpayers of Champaign County by bringing in federal grants and civic organizations to modernize the office. You may know when I came in, we had hardware and voting equipment that wasn't even manufactured anymore. Our Windows election management system that ran on Windows XP. We modernized the office and saved money during that process. And I think that's a pretty phenomenal feat when it takes money to replace all those pieces of equipment. So we were able to completely modernize the office. And one of the pieces of equipment that I'm very happy to announce that we have is the express vote. The express vote replaced what was something that was called an auto mark. We called it the 100 pound pencil because both of the devices are marking devices. But specifically, this express vote allows people with disabilities to have a private and an independent experience. Whereas before they had to take a Democrat and Republican election judge, sit them down at a location and read to them what their choices were. So they didn't have a private or independent experience. And with this new technology and this new machine, they're able to have that private and independent experience. We have increased the number of early voting locations from 10 to 21. It's very important for people to have access. All the trips I've taken, the studies that I've read and been a part of, these conversations with my colleagues, this is about access. 
the voters want flexibility and access. So to go from 10 early voting locations to 21, it's going to be a, a real good piece for the voters to have that flexibility. And then we have the vote centers now, whether it's early voting or on election day, you can vote anywhere. You don't have to go to a specific location or precinct. You're out and about. It doesn't matter. They say, hey, the line is only two minutes over there. You can get out of this line that's 30 minutes long or something and go over there to this other location, even on Election Day. The permanent vote by mail list is something that I thought was a no brainer. When I spoke with my colleagues about that, they had been fighting for years to try to get some of the more modernized aspects of vote by mail, I should say. And the permanent list was one of them. So we lobbied and we talked to a lot of the legislators who are part of the elections committee and they said, hey, you know what, this makes sense. And we were able to get it passed. So now Champaign County has 10,000 people on the permanent vote by mail list, which is going to save taxpayers money and make voting more accessible for those people who wanted them. I'm almost done. (laughs) No, keep going. This is amazing. We implemented 11 drop boxes all over Champaign County, even in the rural areas. We would have had 12, except for the Tolono Village Board, the only government body to vote against having a free drop box for their voters to return their vote-by-mail ballots. And one of the things that, especially right now with the I believe this election is really about women's rights, workers' rights, and voting rights. And I'm happy that I have three women, a part of the five admin people on my team, the five administrators. Three of them are women, one of them a woman of color, one of them a member of the LGBT community. So I've certainly been intentional about bringing women into the administration and hiring them to be in positions where they can make decisions. And lastly, we administered the highest voter turnout in the history of Champaign County even in a global pandemic. Aaron, I don't even know where to begin, but you just said that voters want flexibility and access, and you listened to what voters wanted, and that is all you're trying to do with your office. I won't even mention your opponent by name, but he won't even admit Joe Biden lawfully won the last election. He's a legitimate election denier. He actually wants to run elections in Champaign County. I'd like to play this clip for you, if I may, of something that he said recently that kind of encapsulates exactly how he feels. We know they stopped counting in Georgia. We know they stopped counting in Arizona. These are all different places, and they may not even be this, all of them. Who knows? I wasn't, I wasn't in the Brookings building or in the election center. Champaign County may have stopped counting. I don't know. Aaron, he says he doesn't know, but you know, and I know, the rest of us know who won. There was not a lot of proven voter fraud. Can you speak to your opponent on this issue? You know, this is one of those things that's most alarming to me about his candidacy and his run for this position. First of all, it's clear that he doesn't know anything about how the process works here in Champaign County and maybe even other places. But here in Champaign County, Once the elections are closed, once the polls are closed, the election judges bring back the external thumb drive and all the ballots and the paperwork that they have at each polling location. And we sit in that election management location waiting for all of that to come back, all of the information, the thumb drives, as well as the ballots. And in that room where the election management services area where we're counting the ballots, There's Democrats and Republicans. In particular, there's a gentleman by the name of David Powell. We call him Dutch. He's a retired Navy veteran, Vietnam veteran. And his wife, Barbara Powell, who are Republican judges, 
and they are amazing and they are there in the room in particular Dutch is in the room where the counting is taking place and he's really offended about this statement that my opponent has made and the process is simple where all of the thumb drives have to be inserted into a computer that's offline and we don't stop until all the thumb drives are completed then we know the counting is done. And that's exactly what we did on that night. It was a long night. It just shows that my opponent has no idea how things work. And he doesn't seem to care to make such an accusation, an allegation to indict election judges, in particular members of his own party, Vietnam veterans who served the country and now serving the community. And he's indicting them as if they would go along with some sort of conspiracy to steal an election from former President Trump, who lost Champaign County by 22,000 votes. It's so ridiculous and preposterous. And when you listen to his statement, we know they stopped counting in Arizona. Who is we? Who is he associating himself with? It is very clear he's associating himself with this extreme right wing group of people who are election deniers. And from what I can see and what I have processed are the very people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th and tried to stop the peaceful transfer of power. And this individual wants to be in one of the most critical roles that we have in our society, county clerk who counts the votes, who sets up the procedures. He won't even accept the results of the election of 2020. I find that deeply disturbing. And he's a part of a larger network of strategies of far right-wing Republicans who refuse to accept the truth of the 2020 election. <sighs> That's about as dangerous as we can get in Champaign County to elect a Trump supporter like that who's an election denier and put them in charge of our elections. I feel confident that there are enough intelligent people in Champaign County that know better and not put this guy in charge of the most precious thing we have, which is democracy, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I believe in participatory democracy. I know that we go back and forth in these conversations about whether or not it's a republic or a democracy. And I believe that in order for us to really obtain that level of a democracy, Everyone who's an eligible voter needs to participate in the process, in the electoral process, do their civic duty or exercise their constitutional right to choose their leadership. So I want to expand the franchise. I want everyone who's an eligible voter to participate in the process so that we can actually have the democracy that I think would be beneficial to us all. That's what I want. And it's clear to me that he's already made public statements that he would remove the drop boxes. He's already said he thinks students should vote where they call home. Although the Supreme Court is very clear on this position that students can vote where they go to school if they so choose. But these are the positions that he's put out there publicly already. It's not going to happen. We're not going to let it happen. And one of the reasons we're not going to let it happen is because you are out there getting your steps in, knocking on doors, talking to constituents. What are you hearing are some of the biggest concerns from constituents? One of the things that I've heard over and over again it wasn't a concern, but they love the drop boxes. They want the accessibility. They are very happy about the vote centers and being able to vote anywhere, especially on election day. So that accessibility and that flexibility, they are concerned about our democracy and whether or not it's going to sustain, if it's going to be upheld, because there's this energy, this energy about, is it going to be another civil war? What direction is the country headed overall? And that's what I've heard from them. They're concerned about those particular things. They ask me if I can lower their taxes and I say, oh, I don't have anything to do with that. <laughs> I won't be able to, to help you out with that. 
But those are some of the things that I heard as what they're happy about and some of the concerns that they have. There was a lady who I knocked on her door just yesterday. and She said, I just want to know one thing. Do you believe Joe Biden won the 2020 election? Say yes, ma'am. She said, okay, well, you can come on in. <laughs> we can have a conversation. That could have gone either way. Exactly. Your goal is to have every single person you talk to cast a ballot. It doesn't matter if it's for your side, but you just want them to have free and fair elections. Do you anticipate turnout to be higher this midterm? Because like you said, it feels like women's rights and racial issues and LBGTQ issues are on the ballot and it's really important right now. So I looked at our numbers in 2018, which was 80,000 people voted in 2018 in a midterm election, which was phenomenal. And then in 2014, there was like 55,000 people. So with the issues that are on the ballot, with the access that we have created through early voting and vote by mail, I do believe that we're going to be close to somewhere in between that 55,000 and 80,000. And I would love to eclipse the 80,000 to really show, one, the interest in our elections here locally and that what we've been doing to try to anticipate and create the access that people want, that it will result in a higher turnout. So I'm confident we will have a high turnout for 2018. I'm just not sure whether or not it will eclipse the 80,000 of 2018. Not for lack of trying. Every time I see you in pictures on social media, you are holding a clipboard and you are at voter registration events. Has your office been able to get back to that a little more now that people are getting vaccinated and it's not that the pandemic's over, but that we are out there a little more? Things have calmed down a little bit. I would use that terminology, but we're still very careful and cautious. We've been out at so many different events. I was at Uni High not too long ago speaking to a class there about civic engagement and the importance of young people being engaged in the process. We did a piece at CU Homeless Shelter. I went to the CU Homeless Shelter to talk to our homeless population and let them know that their voice matters as well. And they have every right to register and vote as well. Had very good conversations. And I even got beat in chess when I was there. So we've had just one recently out in front of the Champaign County Courthouse. I worked with Win Recovery, which is a women's organization designed for women who are returning home from being incarcerated and helping them get back on their feet. So Win Recovery and I, we partnered together to do a voter registration drive out in front of the courthouse just last week. So we try to go as many places as we can, try to especially to touch these marginalized communities who've been otherized and left out whether it's the homeless population or people with felony convictions, students. We've tried our best to do everything we can to reach out to them and let them know that their voice matters as well. Erin, you're classier than I am, so you wouldn't say this, but I'm going to. I feel like Democrats run on helping people that are less fortunate and helping people give them a hand up. And Republicans just want to suppress the vote of anyone that doesn't look like them. I know you can't verbally agree with me on this, but there have been so many lawsuits for voter suppression. Actual voter fraud has not been a problem at all, but why would someone want to suppress any person's right to vote? You know, I've thought about this question quite a bit, and I'm so far in the other direction of that and wanting to get people to be involved in the process that it's the only reason that I can think of that anyone would want to suppress another person's vote is for either to obtain some perceived power, maintain some perceived power, but basically to control the outcome so that they would be in control. I just can't think of any other reason why you would want to tell someone who's a citizen, who's an eligible voter, why would you want to make it more difficult 
for them to vote. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Not with the faith and the belief that I have in democracy. I believe 100% in democracy. I've studied the civil rights movement. I've seen what happens to women and to young people who have been left out of the process. I don't know how we make a claim to want democracy and understand the beauty of democracy, then at the same time, lock people out of the process and don't educate the citizens about the process. So that's one of the things that I think about a lot. And I just can't understand why anybody would want to suppress another person's vote. The most ridiculous thing I've heard is in Georgia, you can get ticketed or arrested for handing somebody water. Is that correct? Have I heard that correctly? Yes. And it reminds me of in 2018, when I ran in 2018, the students were placed on the fourth floor of the Illini Union. So by law in the state of Illinois, the students have to have access to voting and it has to be at like a central location like the Illini Union if they have one. And these students had been placed on the fourth floor in a little small room and they were so excited and fired up about voting that they came out of that room, spiraled all the way down from the fourth floor to the main floor and stayed in line for hours to vote. And when we came with different candidates and different people came to give them food and water, we were being told that we couldn't do that. It was a slip hazard or a danger or something like that. And the next day, the president of the university and his wife came out to hand out bread to the students who were in line on the stairs because they had come back the second day to do the same thing. But yes, these voter suppression laws are spreading all over the place, all over the country. Once the gutting of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, Section 2 and Section 5 were complete by the Supreme Court, it just opened up the floodgates for a lot of these states to now re-implement voter ID laws and just various different things to make it difficult for people to vote. And going back to your original question about this, that's all about control because for whatever reason, I don't even know if it's true or not, but when you have more people participate, they seem to have more democratic views than they have these Republican views. And if that's the will of the people, then let that be the will of the people. The only reason why you would suppress vote then is to try to keep control into a smaller segment of people and allow money in politics to dictate the outcomes of the elections. As you mentioned earlier, there will be yellow boxes as many places as you can put them. Can you reiterate that you can vote anywhere? I'm not tied to the church that I've been voting at for 12 years. So first, let me just say that the boxes are supposed to be orange. <laughs> they were supposed to be orange and blue. When I looked at the color the first time, it looked orange to me. It was very orange and it's supposed to be orange. But when they got them, they were a little lighter than that. But people love them. They're bright. Two things that I've been doing as the elected official, as the county clerk, I've spent a lot of time lobbying. And of course, I've worked with my wife, Representative Ammons, who can guide me in particular areas, say this is the person that you need to talk to about elections issues. Not only did we lobby for the permanent vote by mail list, but also lobby for the vote center so that we could have the opportunity for people to vote wherever they wanted to vote instead of the sort of archaic go to this location and you got to vote between 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. regardless of, you know, and I just, that is so outdated 
and needed to be changed. So we were able to press and we now have it where we can have the vote centers, which means now universal voting. You can go to any location, regardless of what's on your voter registration card, that location that's on there. That's just because you live in a particular precinct, but you are not obligated to go to that location. You can go to any voting location during early voting and on election day and have your vote cast. And we print on demand now, Elizabeth. Whereas before, when I came into office, after each election, there would be thousands of paper ballots just sitting in tubs that we would have to throw away because the previous way of doing things was that we had to guesstimate how many people would turn out per precinct. So we would guess, and then you had to use this formula where you had way more ballots than you would ever need in 90% of those locations. So we decided we're going to do something different and we're going to do it the way we do it during early voting, which is to print on demand. So we tried it in the 2021 election. It worked very well. We now have a tremendous IT young man who's a part of our team now, and he's helping us tighten up things. We're able now to print on demand so we don't have that waste which is another savings for taxpayers. And so we don't have hordes of paper at the end of the night, but you can go vote anywhere. I was actually on a call with the university students, a civic engagement group, and one of the student body president said, well, wait a minute, I got my voter registration card and it says I have to vote at the Halal Center. That's your home precinct. You can go there if you like, but you are not obligated to vote at that location. You can vote at any polling location in Champaign County. I appreciate that. You talked about saving the taxpayers money. Aren't Republicans supposed to be fiscally responsible and they wasted all that paper and all that money? But I won't even make you comment on that. Another way that you've saved the taxpayer money, Mike Ingram ran on the concept of closing the recorder of deeds office as a separate entity. And now it runs under your office and you retained everybody, right? You didn't have to let any staff go. Tell me how that's going. Well, first, I want to give a shout out to Mike for being a man of his word. He said, that's what I would do if I was elected. And he followed through on that. And I think that's something that's respectable and honorable. He should be commended for that. Shout out to you, Mike, for keeping your word. And I also think that that connects to the Democrats who said, listen, we would do this because, you know, people make those promises. And we've seen it happen in other places. And you use it as a way to get elected. And then you say, oh, sorry, couldn't do it. And then you just stay in the position. But that is not what we did. We followed through with our word, saved the taxpayers that money, $95,000 a year in salary plus benefits. And the key piece that a lot of people don't recognize is that if you stay in the position long enough, now you also have pension coming that we would have to pay. But that's all gone now. We do not have to worry about that. So that's a tremendous savings. And I cannot say enough about when I came in as clerk and also taking over and merging the recorder's office in. The institutional knowledge and the people from AFSCME 3100 who are there serving are the glue to it all. I can give direction. I can bring vision. I can create a culture within the clerk's office. But they do the work every day. Those 36,000 people who have come through vitals, I may have served 10 or 15 of them myself. If that, I'm being honest with you, they do the work up front. So Tony, Barb, Sherry, Chris, Mimi over in the recorder's office, they were absolutely amazing. And they are the ultimate reason why that transition has been as smooth as it's been. And on the flip side of that, when I came in in 2018, where the Republicans had orchestrated the exodus of most of the staff, only the vitals division and one lady in the elections division, Rena, Rena Anderson. She is a Republican, but she said, I am committed 
to making sure that this election is successful. And God knows, I don't know how we would have ended up if it wasn't Farina staying and holding true. And one of the things that people really don't know about in the tax division, the people who were there, the main person who left, who was the lead tax extension person, didn't serve a day under me, said she just would not do it. And the other gentleman left maybe two weeks into it. So we had to put brand new people in one of the most difficult divisions within the office. And Andy Rhodes, another Republican who lived behind me for years, and we had never even spoke. He came downstairs. He said, what they did is BS. And I'm not going to let this happen to the taxpayers of Champaign County. I'm going to train out. He said, I used to be the lead tax extension specialist before the previous person. And I'll train the people that you put in there to make sure that we don't hurt the taxpayers of Champaign County. They are reasonable and they are hardworking and respectable Republicans who stood up and said, no, we're not going along with that game. And I hope that it'll be the same type of Republicans that won't allow my opponent to become clerk and to bring that type of mindset back into the clerk's office. You hear behind the scenes from Republicans, reasonable Republicans, as you say, they don't want that guy in charge. So let's hope that they show up at the ballot box. Before we let you go, we can't neglect mentioning your wife again. I know you mentioned her earlier, State Representative Carol Ammons. She's doing an amazing job in her district. I know she sees a lot of resistance, but luckily the Illinois legislature is one of those out there that is still in Democratic hands. I can sleep at night knowing that J.B. Pritzker is at the helm. Tell me some of the wonderful accomplishments of your wife. You know, one of the things that people, they talk about most is like a bill that is passed. And I can get into that here shortly. But it is the implementation of the panels that she has in the office where average everyday citizens come and populate the panels whether it's a labor panel or health rights, uh, health care panel, and they come in and say, Representative, this is good information. This is a bad idea. And they read through some of the bills and they offer her ideas and give her input that she then takes back with her to Springfield. She doesn't try to act like she has it all figured out. She really does reach out to the citizens and say, what is it that you want? How is it that your story can inform the legislation that I'm going to push in Springfield? Numerous bills, numerous situations where people have come to talk to her, the way she runs the office, the way that it's set up. I think that's one of the most phenomenal things about the work that she's done. And she has political instincts that I'm going to confess. I have finally just said, I am listening to you. Tell me what I should be doing, right? That sharp with her instincts. Now, the Muhammad Aquifer, former state rep Naomi Jacobson had tried to get it passed. Other people had tried to get that protection done. She came in, was able to pick up from where they had left off and move the bill and got it passed. Now, when you think about what's happening out west with the drying up of their lakes and their water, when you think about what's happening in Mississippi and what happened in Michigan, we are very blessed to have clean drinking water, the Muhammad Aquifer, and to have somebody fighting for it in the way that she did. The temp worker bill, where the temp agencies were gouging employees and making them, putting their paycheck on a card and then charging them to use the card. I mean, phone calls from prison that were just outrageous and were making it almost impossible for families to talk to their loved ones. She came in and was able to change that structure. So there's so many landmark pieces of legislation that I could speak to that she's done. I am in awe of the work that she does. I really wish that the people of Champaign County 
could see how hard she works. We're here tonight. She's on a panel tonight talking about reproductive rights for women. And she doesn't stop. She doesn't take time off. She's a full-time legislator. We appreciate everything that you both do. Before I let you go, though, Aaron, I have to ask, people say Joe Biden's too old. Nobody that I've talked to wants Donald Trump to run again on either side of the aisle. But then what? Then we look at Ron DeSantis. I mean, Greg Abbott. It just keeps getting worse. If you could pick the next president of the United States, who are you picking? Bernie Sanders. Okay, you didn't even hesitate. Tell me why he's not too old and why he would be effective. I think this ageist stuff is as damaging in many respects as racism, sexism, homophobia, any of these particular things. So I don't want to operate from that perspective. Now, I'm going to be real with you that I certainly can see that as we age, we're not as sharp as we used to be and things like that. And maybe sometimes there's a point where we have to pass the mantle. I don't see that in Bernie. And I think the ideas that Bernie represents are important and are the progressive ideas that I want to see happen from health care to free education, things of that nature to make sure that we have quality life. Now, if Bernie is not successful, there's some other people that I think about, but Bernie would be the name that comes right off the top of my head really quickly and easily. And do you think that he could win an election? Because whatever happens in two years, Democrats can't afford to give up power. Once the primary is over and you're telling me that my choice is Bernie or DeSantis, Bernie or Trump, I don't know if I would use the word heartbroken, but I was disturbed that a qualified tried and true tested woman in Hillary Clinton, the first chance we get, we lose to Donald Trump. That to me was an indictment of the country that we've got to do better. And now we see the attack on Roe. If there's anything that's disheartening to me outside of the issues of race that we see as well, it is also the way that women are treated within the society. From a policy standpoint, I'm progressive, I'm Bernie, but I certainly I would love to see Kamala to take the mantle and become president. That would be a beautiful thing. You ask me purely, though, from my political perspective and my personal views, that ideology is what I would like to see. But I would be ecstatic to see Kamala be president. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Champaign County Clerk Aaron Ammons, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Elizabeth. I appreciate you. 